Today's reading is from Matthew 7, um, verses 7 to 12, which is in page 917 in the Pew Bibles. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or, if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, as Spurgeon or Wesley might ask, how goes it with your soul? How is your walk with God? Good? Bad? Or indifferent? If you were to mark your spirituality from 1 to 10, where would it be? Somewhere near the bottom? 1 or 2 perhaps? Or somewhere in the middle? four or five. I'm not sure any of us would presume to give ourselves six or above. I think we're all aware of our faults and failings, our irritabilities, our impatience in certain circumstances and our lack of love when things get difficult. Standing here preaching always makes me especially feel unworthy and not up to the task. But here is the good news, wonderful news, in fact. By asking God to forgive our sins and receiving Jesus as Lord and Saviour, we no longer have to rely on ourselves. God will forgive us, and his demands for justice has been satisfied. By grace, through faith, we are saved God declares us to be righteous and we can come into his presence both now and in the age to come. He marks us 10 out of 10. I don't think I've ever received full marks in an exam, but because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, God marks my righteousness as 10 out of 10. This is called justification. It's not something we can earn, it's God's gift. How wonderful. However, there's another side to the coin, so to speak. Once we have been justified before God and declared righteous, there is a requirement that we grow in likeness of Christ on a daily basis. We are to become like him in actuality, both in righteousness and in holiness. 
This is a process and it's called sanctification. Both justification, our position before God, and sanctification, our transformation, are true and operational at the same time. But it's justification that underpins and is the basis of our sanctification. The Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, we all, as Christians, reflect the Lord's glory. That's justification. Did you know that? You, me, reflect the Lord's glory. Even when we think we've failed, when we're at our worst. Isn't that amazing? Yeah? Yeah. Good. We're not Pentecostals. I'm not expecting any amens, but a little nod or a smile would be, would be good. But at the same time, we are also being transformed with ever-increasing glory. That's sanctification. We become more and more like Jesus as we grow in grace and righteousness until, at his coming, the work will be complete. The connection I want to make between Paul's theology of salvation And Jesus' teaching on the Sermon of the Mount is this. In his sermon, Jesus lays down the standards of inner righteousness. Standards which deal with the realities of what goes on in our hearts and minds. First and foremost, it's about what we think, how we feel, and how we perceive the world around us, is God at the centre. Only when we have been transformed from the inside out will godly behaviour follow, and not the other way round. Through the work of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God, the values of the Sermon on the Mount are our destination. This is where being transformed into the image of Christ should take us. Our thoughts and motives will move towards the purity and the humility of the Beatitudes. Our spiritual walk will start to resemble Jesus' practical teaching on prayer, the correct application of God's laws, being salt and light, giving to the needy and seeking first the kingdom of God. A non-Christian could try and live according to the Beatitudes, but they wouldn't get very far. Jesus' teaching here is not about morals or ethics. The standards are so incredibly high that they are unachievable without the help of God. In fact, as Christians, we will fail 
without God's help. In his classic book, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Nothing shows me the absolute need of the new birth and of the Holy Spirit and his work within me so much as the Sermon on the Mount. These Beatitudes crush me to the ground. They show me my utter helplessness. Were it not for the new birth, I am undone. Read and study it. Face it in the light of it. It will drive you to see your ultimate need of rebirth and the gracious operation of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing, nothing that leads so to the gospel and its grace as the Sermon on the Mount. And he continues by throwing out both a challenge and an encouragement. If you want to have power in your life and to be blessed, go straight to the Sermon on the Mount. Face it and its implications and demands and see your utter need and then you will get it. It's the direct blessing. It's the direct road to blessing. And amen to that. Chapter 7 is the last of the three chapters in Matthew's Gospel on the Sermon on the Mount. And in verses 7 to 12, there are three wonderful encouragements for us as we pursue inner righteousness. The first is prayer. We have the privilege of approaching our Creator God for all good things. Jesus, in chapter 6, has already provided a template for us in the Lord's Prayer, and now he returns to the subject. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And in order to make quite certain we have understood, he repeats it in a stronger form. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is an absolute promise made by the Son of God with the authority of his Father. Ask, seek, and knock, your prayers will be answered. Of course, we know from other scripture that our prayers should not be made from selfish motives. All the commentaries I have read state that asking, seeking and knocking are all in the present tense. There's an emphasis, therefore, on persistence. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking until we receive, until we find or until the door is opened. And I think there is something deeper here than the give us our daily bread of the Lord's Prayer. It really is pressing in for an answer, perhaps for a loved one, a specific problem we have, 
the ministry we support, Christian persecution, or a world trouble spot, whatever the Lord lays on our hearts. To quote Lloyd-Jones again, if we really want to be people of God, if we really want to know him and walk with him and experience those boundless blessings which he has to offer us, we must persist in asking him for them by day by day. We have to feel his hunger and his thirst after righteousness and then we shall be filled. And the second wonderful encouragement, which can't be isolated from the first, is that we have a loving Heavenly Father who knows our every need. He looks on us with a heavenly love and knows everything about us. He watches over us and has a plan for our lives. While many of us will have had poor, even dreadful experiences of our earthly fathers, through Christ we can call God our Father. He wants to bless us greatly, and Jesus says this about him. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more indeed? Jesus here is using a rabbinic exegesis called Calvahoma, arguing from the lesser to the greater. So, for example, if you are fined £50 for driving at 50 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour speed limit, how much more will you be fined for speeding at 70 miles an hour? Or, if... Shane is stronger than Tim, and Tim can lift 30 kilograms of weight. How much more can Shane lift? We're not told how much more, but we know it's more than me. So then, how much more does God want to bless us than our earthly fathers who are imperfect And even the best ones don't always know what is best. The answer is, God wants to bless us so much more. And what are these good gifts? Well, they start with salvation and they will finish when we are clothed with our imperishable new bodies at Jesus' return. And in between time, God's gifts are given to bring us closer to him, to supply everything we need for life and godliness. In a similar passage in Luke 11, Jesus makes reference to the Holy Spirit. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Spirit is the key to living righteous lives 
Through the Spirit, we have the power to overcome our old sinful nature. We only have to ask, and the Father will give the Holy Spirit. The third and last wonderful encouragement is encapsulated in what is known as the Golden Rule. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. How do we want people to act towards us? Well, I would suggest with honesty, respect, integrity, friendliness, fairness, concern, empathy, generosity, impartiality, etc., etc., So then, may our conduct towards others be along these lines. In doing so, we have the encouragement that we are fulfilling God's commandments. When it says this sums up the law and the prophets, it doesn't mean that we are fulfilling the law and the prophets. That was Jesus' job on the cross. What it means is that we will be meeting God's requirements for inner righteousness. When Jesus is speaking here, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament hadn't yet been put together. So, of course, we will be fulfilling now the New Covenant as detailed in the New Testament by living as God wants us to. Towards the end of his ministry, when asked by a Pharisee what the greatest commandment was, Jesus responded with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Loving, therefore, starts with God. We love because God first loved us. If we love God, we will love our neighbour as well. A neighbour here means anyone we come into contact with, in person, online, over the phone, at work, during leisure time, at church, anywhere in fact. And note how the requirement here has increased going from doing unto others to loving others. But when we fail to love as we should, and we will, we have the encouragement that we are not condemned. We stand justified before God. He will forgive us when we confess our sins, after which we can pick ourselves up and continue our walk of pursuing inner righteousness. What high calling can there be in this life to be changed into Jesus' image with ever-increasing glory? With the help of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness 
of the Sermon on the Mount is our destination. To close, if your walk with God hasn't yet started and you would like to explore Christianity further, please see myself or one of the team after the service. Amen.